last year someone yelled at me my husband and i were in a double and they were like wah 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 i couldn't tell her he's like there's a moose swimming behind your bow yeah <laughs> hello and welcome to steady state podcast your rowing fix where the water's always flat the catches are clean and you can always hear the coxswain we're revealing a narrative about rowing culture that celebrates the expansive array of rowers, coaches, and coxswains in a podcast designed to save a real-life experience from launch to cock seat at every level. We're Rachel Friedman and Tara Morgan, and this is Steady State Podcast. Sit ready. Thanks to everyone who listened to our last episode with Tracy Falkenthal of Texas Rowing Center. An introduction to rowing as a teen completely changed the trajectory of Tracy's life, and she spent the years since trying to pay it forward as a member of the Army National Guard, a firefighter, a personal trainer, health coach, and rowing coach. Her rowing story is one of finding a way up and a way out and sharing her passion for rowing and fitness with her community. If you missed it or any of our episodes, listen anytime at steadystatenetwork.com slash podcast or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, would you leave us a review? When you do, it helps our podcast get noticed and reach more ears. We're really interested in backstories, the experiences on and off the water that make people the rowers, coaches, and coxswains they are today. And when it comes to clubs and boathouses, we want to meet the people that make them vibrant, engaging, inclusive, successful, and of course, fun. With that in mind, our semi-regular Club Spotlight series takes us around the world. On this week's episode, we're heading west, all the way to Alaska, to talk with Anchorage Rowing Association. ARA was formed in 1998 to provide rowing opportunities for teens and adults in the community of Anchorage. They row May to October out of a shell pen on Sand Lake and offer coached sculling and sweep rowing. Today we're talking with ARA head coach Steve Full, President Kim Morris, and long-timer Ed Hall, who's been a member and coach since ARA's founding. Thanks to all of you for being with us today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, happy to be here. Happy to be here too. Okay, so our first question always is, how's your rowing week going? We just concluded, I think, our first full week. We had a partial week, and then last week was our first full week back in the water. I think that's right. I'm, I, I kind of lose track when all these days, like the, it, the sun never sets, so I don't know what what day has started and what day has ended yet. But it's been it, it's been a pretty good start in comparison to last year. Like we had a lot of people who are apprehensive to get on the water and row singles. And this year, I feel like we're going to have a really strong, a strong season. There's been a great turnout already. So really excited. We usually have a, a rule for the minimum number of masters rowers to show up um, for a coaching session. Uh, but for May, we waived it just to get people down and get people the habit of going. So um, I took out one of the masters. It was uh, probably good for her anyway to, to get a, a, an easy spin in um, before, before things really heat up uh, for the rest of summer. Gotcha. So Ed or Kim, how's your rowing week going? Mine's good. So I rode this morning and uh, my husband and I were down doing dock maintenance yesterday. So we took Saturday off from rowing. But yeah, I mean, we're rowing five or six days a week, five days a week rowing and one day a week or two days a week of committee work and boat maintenance. And my son, who's on the junior team, he starts first practices tonight. 
So my husband and I were out this morning and then one of our boys who's old enough to row was, is out four o'clock this first practice. Welcome back to the season, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, he's joining a, a, a legacy family there of, of rowers. That should be great. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure. But I'm like, you know, we have all this great equipment. I'm like, you're a fool if you don't pick this sport up. <laughs> so. It's a great recruiting. That's a great recruiting tactic. <laughs> yeah. Kim, uh, Kim, what about you? Well, I've been out of town. I had a chance to go see my daughter graduate from college. So they had an in-person graduation that we found out about fairly late in Los Angeles. So I'm just getting back into town and I rode yesterday in an eight um, for the second time in over a year. And it was so fun and I miss it so much. I can't wait to get back into big boats. And we did a lot of rowing in singles last year, which I think actually made all of us maybe better rowers. I think for me anyway, the big boats are just, it's a completely different, and people that don't row don't realize this. And I'm new to rowing, fairly new myself, but it's completely different. You know, you just... A big boat is just different than being in a single and being responsible for everything. <laughs> yeah, I think Rachel and I would agree. Uh, both of us are sweepers by choice. Uh, we are we're definitely identify as sweepers and we've been really f- missing uh, the big boats and seeing all these great Instagram posts and social media posts of people out in their eights were getting a little jealous. Yeah. <laughs> right, Rachel? Yes, very jealous. Um, and I keep saying, you know, like, light at the end of the tunnel. I think I'm going to be back on the water in big boats uh, in June. So I'm excited. I'm excited. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I think our most fortunate thing, we approached it really cautiously and Steve was really upfront, you know, like you're going to have to share, we we reached out to everyone. You're going to share your vaccination status, you know, making sure we were respectful of people that couldn't get in. We got back and hundred percent of the team is fully vaccinated, which just was like, well, let's jump in then. It's been great. Yeah. Excellent. That's great. I mean, that shows a lot of community trust and a lot of good management and an admin on your, on your side. So congratulations on that. I know uh, here, I'm a here on Vashon Island, which is a very small club, maybe 40 uh, active members, maybe comparable to your uh, roster there and probably 15 or 20 juniors. Um, and, uh, showing those vaccine cards is a point of pride here. Uh, we're on a very small Island as you are in a very small community. And, yeah. and it's important that we were all very compliant and we've done very well here. Uh, but I think there's a trust there, you know, that we believe, uh, getting on the water is going to be a great thing for all of us as a community. So let's hear it. What's your rowing origin stories? Ed, how did you get into rowing? You've been in the longest, I think, of everyone here. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, okay. So here is, I'll I'll try, I'm Irish, so I tend to make long stories, but I'm going to try and condense it. In 1984, there was a woman from Anchorage named Chris Thorsness, and she was in the 84 Olympic women's eight that won a gold medal. That was the first gold medal in any sport from an Alaskan. And there was a big, uh, there was a, a parade for her downtown. And I was a freshman in high school, saw that and decided, um, you know, we had similar builds and I was going to, I was going to try rowing. So I just made sure when I graduated that every school I applied to had some sort of team, uh, ended up at Washington state and, um, they have a club there and, um, I rowed. I, I actually, that year, uh, the national team was rowing at San Diego crew classic. So I got to introduce myself to Chris Thorstens like a total geek. And um, oddly enough, three years later, her brother met my sister and they are now married. And so when I came home, Alaska is a big, small town, in addition to being kind of a big island. So when I got, when I graduated, came back to Alaska, I figured that was the last I would ever row. 
but there was a little group of women on the Kenai Peninsula and they thought they had a great lake none of them had ever rode so they were like you know I know someone that lives next door to someone that works in an office that's next door to someone whose last name is Thorsness I bet it's that rower let's call her it wasn't because Kristen she actually lives in the lower 48 now but they called my sister and and they were like we're looking for a rower and she's like well Kristen's out of state but you should call my sister so I ended up getting sucked into coaching and helping to start that team on the peninsula and there was so much interest from Anchorage that I then the next summer started the team in Anchorage um, too. So I was driving out to coach the Kenai team and rowing in Anchorage and getting that started. And so that's, that's my origin story. I mean, I rode in college and then um, what all these people don't know is that they're basically my secret plot is to be able to do what I love. And I've sucked these hundreds of people in to support my personal desire to row every day. And they still don't realize it. It's all a plot. I, I love a that. A lot of coaches feel that way. You know, we just love it so much and we want it to be a part of our lives. We want to have that sort of lifestyle where we're on the water and um, everybody else are just, you know, pieces of that, um, making that happen. Yeah. yeah. I would imagine we, that there in Anchorage, there's a lot of like uh, recruiting in coffee shops like you. There is, Hello. but you know, I've like <laughs> my, let's see, my brother Rose, my husband Rose, my sister-in-law, my brother-in-law, now my son, one of my nephews tried it. So I've also sucked kind of the community of Anchorage, but pretty much every family member, they like, if they don't want to row, they just avoid my eyes. So. <laughs> um, so I'm a little curious, Ed. So when you first started rowing, what was it about the sport that really got you hooked? Do you remember? I mean, I was never great at any sport, but I was good at many sports, but just never found something that like inspired me to try harder. And from the moment I tried rowing, I was just intoxicated by it. And I loved the early mornings. I, um, I, I think like, if you, like you talk about the one thing about rowing that just drives me, it's the sound of the oar. Like I can still remember one time on the snake river, which is where Washington state rose, um, just one morning at 4 a.m. in the dark, the perfect sploosh of the, the one stroke that we got right in, you know, 10,000, <laughs> but the perfect entry, dark, you have nothing else to focus on. And just that, that, that sploosh sound that you search for and you once in a great moon hear it again. I don't know. I got my chills. Thing. I got chills. That's amazing. Uh, Kim, what about you? Sort of like Ed, I guess I, um, I, never really was very athletic. I didn't grow up doing a lot of sports, but um, my daughter was in college in Minnesota and she had joined a small rowing club there and she had come home and we were at the gym together and she was showing me how to use the erg. And I thought, gosh, you know, this is pretty fun. I really kind of like the, the motion of rowing. And, you know, I remember, and this is again, the, the big small town thing, but I remember my friend from high school, Ed Hall, started a, a rowing club in Anchorage like a long time ago and I remember hearing something about it but I um, found out that they had learned to row classes and I said I'm gonna I'm gonna do this I'm gonna get out rowing on the water and so um that was three seasons ago so this is my fourth season and I like Ed said I mean I I can't explain what happened but um I was just so hooked I mean I have you know kind of this you know, I'm short, which I guess is not a great thing for rowing, but I have, you know, all this strong legs and pretty good sense of rhythm. And 
um, just the excitement of being you know, in a team sport that doesn't rely on you kind of being up to bat, you know, um, which I've never been good at the pressure, you know. Um, so it's a team sport, but, and I think the thing that draws me and the thing that I noticed about a lot of rowers that it, is that they're thinkers, you know, they're, they're, they're really cerebral thinker people and perfectionist tendencies. And that is really kind of in line with me too. And um, just the incredible amount of mental focus that I put into rowing and just, it's just amazing. So, and it was so fun. And so the idea that exercise could be completely secondary to just being out there and having fun and doing something so incredibly fun was so groundbreaking for me. So it's like, oh, I don't have to try to get my exercise in. So, um, so I, as I do a lot of things, I jumped in with both feet and, you know, I went to a rowing camp and I bought a boat and I bought an erg for home and <laughs> joined the board of directors. And um, yeah, I never looked back. I just, I absolutely love it. Yeah, your trajectory has been pretty uh, <laughs> strong there. You joined, you bought a boat, you, you've outfitted your home uh, with things. Uh, and I think that's so great when you see people, I was a learn to row coach for many, many years and still teach learn to row for masters. It's one of the best jobs in the world. Um, it's just, you see those light bulbs go on for people who especially don't have an athletic background or a team background or having, have, having had a coach in their life. I wonder, uh, for you, Kim, what was it like for you the first time you did a race? Are you, are you doing racing or have you done racing before? And what was that like to, to really feel like the competitive spirit. Did you find that you were just an animal, you know, when it came to rowing? No, I wasn't an animal. I, we actually host on a normal year, not last year, of course, but on a normal year, we host two regattas here in Alaska that our club organizes. And then there's another one that the Kenai group that Ed mentioned also organizes a head race. And, um, I was so nervous. I mean, I, one of the sprint races I think went okay. Um, but just crazy nervous and just, and I think the head race we did later in the year, I was a novice rower in a boat of amazing, strong women who are all mentors to me. And I think every single one of them is just incredible. And I just, I've never been so focused. I think it was one of the most stressful and difficult things I've ever done because I've just never been more focused on just or in or out or in out. I mean just you know all it was yeah <laughs> it was crazy I was very stressed out and I I think I don't approach racing very well I'm pretty nervous I'm not I don't have a background you know in in competitive sports at all and so um just the fact that you could catch a crab or let your team down is a lot of pressure I feel that so like I don't care about myself necessarily if I were in a single wouldn't really matter, but in that boat of eight or in that quad or whatever, it's um, just not wanting to let your teammates down, you know, is a, is, is a new thing and it's exciting. And I, and I feel like Ed, I think rowing has um, been something that I, re I really want to get better at. And it's, it's really provided that drive to try to improve and get better at it, even though I don't have any aspirations to ever be, you know, <laughs> super great, but I can be better for me. Yeah, you want to be a great masters rower. And, you know, I I have coached um, masters competitive rowing. And there was a year, one of my rowers, pretty new, was really struggling with racing starts. And he was crabbing a lot. And he just got to the point where we just needed to sit down and have a chat about it. And he just told me how his nerves 
were overtaking him and he was thinking about crabbing and then he would crab. And I told him basically, look, pal, like we are not racing here for any sort of like sponsorship deals from Nike. Like you're just supposed to be out here having a good time as a master's rower. So let's try that <laughs> the next time we're on the water. And it worked for him. He was like, you're right. Like what, what's, what happens if I catch a crab? Like somebody's going to be mad for 30 seconds and then we're going to try again, <laughs> you know? So in master's rowing, those, those personal dynamics, you know, when yeah. you teach learn to row, all those little personalities come out and the yeah. egos come out and the, the competitiveness that's never been unleashed comes out or the, the stress and the worry about letting people down and about disappointing a team. And I think that the key to that is a great coach, uh, as well as, you know, in an eight situation, a great coxswain who knows how to train everybody to the level that they need to be at and also talk them through uh, all those things. So I'm hoping you guys um, have had that experience as well. Yeah. So actually, we are still curious about, um, Steve, your rowing origin story. You know, you started rowing in high school. Is that right? Yeah, I, um, I started rowing in uh, prep school, Tabor Academy. Uh, I was probably second or third day on campus, and I already knew I was going to do the learn to row because I had always wanted to row, even though I had never really actually seen it before. Um, I've seen like the, the inspirational pictures of like some sort of sunset crew. It says like motivation, um, and uh, uh, the coach came up to me and uh, he was just like, "Hey, you're tall." like try out. It was like, I am. Um, and after I think it was like the third day of rowing, uh, he came up to me and said, Hey, we're going to, some of the more experienced guys are going to take an eight out. Do you want to sit in? And I was like, sure. Like how hard could it be? And we, we rode that eight and like I was sitting, you know, probably in the bow seat or something somewhere up towards the bow and the boat really like, I felt like that, that run starting to happen. And, um, you know, I think I only got a few strokes in with those guys, but it was, you know, it's something chemical and you're just like that feeling of weightlessness and power all at the same time is, is addicting. Like, like Ed said, there's something addictive to that feeling. And, and that's really what got me into it. Um, I, I, like literally the next week he put me in a boat to go race at head of the Connecticut. And I, rode rode like 6k and a coxed four and it was miserable but i had so much fun <laughs> um and then uh yeah and then i just kind of kept chipping away at it and rode in college at u-dub and immediately got into coaching uh thereafter at luc and then also at vashon so um so yeah i've just always been a waterman in a way so looking back i'm curious besides the like motivational posters of rowers what was there something else that had drawn you to rowing? Do you know anyone that rode? Um, I hadn't. Um, my, I mean, my family is a, a, a seafaring family, so to speak. Like my grandfather grew up on the water, like working on boats. My dad um, was a captain for Exxon and sails all the time. Like, so I've always had an affinity to water and I am, I'm lost without it is, is a way to uh, express myself. Um, so I feel like with, you know, there's a, a Duke, a Kanemoto quote who started you know, Johnny Appleseed of surfing who said, without water, I am nothing. And I take that to heart. Like, I feel like I need to, I need the water. I need to be on it. I need to be near it. And, uh, I think that's really what kind of got me into it. I was a, 
I was a basketball player and rowing just like immediately took over that. Like it, it substituted all anything that was basketball or any other sport that I ever played and just became the thing that I, I wanted. So what, uh, did you just stumble into coaching or did you actively pursue coaching? And I, I'm curious about, you know, when you come from yeah. such a high level program, like the university of Washington, go dogs, uh, kind of program. I mean, that's, that's an excellence standard that is unparalleled. I mean, there's really very few programs that are unpar- that are, that are like the Washington program here. Yeah. How does that influence you when you come into a master's or a junior's situation? What did you take from that UW uh, experience? Do you think? Well, I probably took some some things away from there initially that were not helpful in coaching. Um, sure. There's a certain intensity that comes with a program like that. And I think I carried a lot of that intensity over into my first year or two of coaching. And I still feel some of those those uh, ripple effects from that time. And I'm trying to reshape those those periods of of my early coaching years into something that's more constructive. Um, but to get started, I, I actually was talking with, uh, uh, Luke, Luke, uh, McGee and Callahan and I were actually having breakfast my senior year. And we were just chatting about the boats and like, we were, we were having some struggles. I was in the JV that year and we were having some struggles and I started talking to him about like language and like, well, what are we actually doing? And what, what are we actually trying to say and get the boat to do? And like, maybe we just got to pick the words out that fit what we need. And um, they're like, yeah, that's cool. Like that, that works. And Ed will appreciate this, but that's why I call it body prep. That's where body prep came from. Instead of saying arms and body over, I'd say, we're going to, let's just go with body prep because we're preparing our bodies. And that seemed to click with the boat. Um, and the other one was our starts where we would, really hoss on it we were having a struggling getting off the line if we had a long build like we would get fine speed it was more sustainable but our starts were very poor the first like five seven strokes were very very poor and i talked with mike after practice one day and he's like that right there like tell everybody right now and i was like uh doesn't that your job (laughs) it's like no like if it comes from you it's going to mean a lot more i was like okay and i kind of stumbled my way through like explaining like how I was thinking about how we need to move the boat. And after that, it was like lights out. Like we started clicking as a crew, the boat started coming together more and more and we started having fun. We were not having fun in that boat for a while. And at the end of the season, um, both Luke and Mike had said like, you know, like you could, if you were thinking about coaching, like we would support that as a, as an avenue for you. Um, And I thought that was really cool for them to just like, express that to me and um you know try to find my own path with it and it's and it's it's a lot of fun you know it's it's a it's a passion project and and that's what that's what coaching is it pays in passion and so far so good (laughs) yeah we uh, rachel and i have been coaches and and had lots of coaches of varying intensities as you said and you know what works well i think one of my favorite um uh, pieces of advice was know your audience, like be able to read the people in the boat. What's going to inspire Kim? What's going to inspire Ed? What's going to click for those people? And that's why we talk a lot about on this show, how you have to have seven different ways of saying 
how to get the catch in, you know, like you just have yep. to learn how to talk to people. And some people of course are kinesthetic and auditory and, and all those kinds of basic learning modalities. But yeah, it's, it's interesting to make that transition, but I love that you got that blessing from them because, you know, Callahan, uh, we're talking about Mike Callahan, who's the longtime um, head men's coach for the university of Washington. You know, he's, he's a legend. I mean, he's, he's a legend in his own right. Um, and it's a program that succeeded because of that, but, I love that you've extracted from that some of that program and put your own spin on it and been uh, felt that confidence to go forward yeah. with with your own exploration of how to work with people and be a good communicator. I think that's and, and and that's definitely a learned skill. And I still like to think that I'm trying to get better at it every every time every year because it is different with every group and every club is going to every person that comes in is going to be a little bit different. And there is some version of standardization when you're at a collegiate program of like what the expectation is. But when you're working with uh, master's rowers and juniors rowers, learn to rows, you know, not everyone wants that. And you have to understand that those people that want it will, they'll, they'll come out of the woodwork. They'll start to come to you and say, I want more. I need more. I need to be pushed more. And that's kind of how I've left it is working this outline of structure and the people that want it will start to come forward and say, I need a little bit more. And I'll be like, great. Thank you for telling me. Like, let's work on that. So, yeah. And I think that's a really critical aspect of a master's coach, especially and, and a non, I'll just say a non elite coach is that two way street. So you have to create an environment where Ed feels comfortable saying, Hey, that didn't jive for me. What's another yeah. way I could think about it. Or Kim can say, I'm really confused or I really want to do better. What should I work on? Or a junior doesn't feel intimidated uh, by a coach. Uh, that's a difference I think between the collegiate. Cause I think collegiate and elite is a one way street. It's like, here's mm -hmm. how we're going to do it. And here's why we're going to do it. And then with masters, it's a little bit more of a conversation and to be a patient yep. approachable coach is, is a skill. It's not, not necessarily naturally. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm I, very I, conscious of that actually is being like a really tall guy. And like for a long time, I had a pretty like burly beard and I kind of started thinking like maybe that's like really intimidating and maybe I should not have that and like a little bit more self-conscious of how my how I'm being perceived um especially you know I've got a loud voice and I don't want to I don't want to yell I don't want someone to think that I'm yelling even though I don't think I am and just trying to work out those kinks and tone and fluctuation and be a little bit more welcoming versus a little bit stone cold. I, I think that this is actually a brilliant conversation in this notion of what you bring to the table, dependent on who your audience is. Um, and I'm not sure I've ever talked to anyone who's been quite so clear and concise about their intentionality there. So thank you for describing that to us, Steve. Um, it's, yeah, there's, there's a lot to figure out there, practice over practice, season over season. Um, and it's always malleable. You've always got to figure out what works. And um, so I'm sure that all of us as coaches and leaders are always, are always seeking just the right level of intensity. Oh caring, yeah. you know, fun, fun. I love that Kim talked about fun before, especially as a novice, because a lot of times that novice season can be so stressful, you know, so to get there out there and have fun is so important. Yeah. I wish, I wish I gotten to coach Kim through her novice season, just because I know that she's new and I know I really was really pushing her in the, uh, the beginning of last year in the single, 
and to take more strokes, not look as much behind you, like have confidence, just keep taking the strokes and trust your point and trust yourself a little bit. Um, because I know like a lot of times you're as a novice, you're trying not to screw up. The goal is to like not fail. But in my mind, it's like, that is the goal. Like you want to push yourself out of that comfort zone. You want to make it so it's, it's just different. And that's, that's the idea for me. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Steady State Network and on Twitter at Steady State Row. Sign up for our e-newsletter and become a patron at SteadyStateNetwork.com. In two, we're back with Anchorage Rowing Association. That's one, two. We had you on because we really want to talk about Anchorage and mm-hmm. uh, and your club, and we really want to pick your brains a little bit about um, about the club and where you row and what's going on there and who's rowing there. So um, for rowers and non-rowers alike who live in the lower 48 and have never been to Alaska, we have this vision of Alaska as being remote. All of Alaska is a remote, and I'm sure that's not really the case, but could you describe Anchorage for us? Uh, Anchorage is, so geographically, the, the city of Anchorage is, is, is largest state of Rhode Island, and, uh, and the population of Anchorage is about 350,000 people. So in Alaska, the Alaskans call us Los Anchorage because we are the stinking big city. You know, they're like, oh, that's just the big city. It's not really Alaska. But I mean, even within Anchorage, we are pretty sparsely populated by city standards. Um, Where we are on Sand Lake is at the kind of western edge of Anchorage. It's real close to the airport. And um, if you fly into Anchorage, you'll actually fly right over Sand Lake. Um, So it is, you know, we are still... um, we're not remote. I mean, there's, there's, there's houses all around, but um, there's probably 20 or 30 float planes that take off from our lake and go out to remote cabins. And we, gosh, Steve and I were on the dock. I think it was this weekend when that eagle swooped over our heads and picked up the fish in the lake. So bald eagles all over. There's a couple of bald eagle that lives on the lake, muskrat swimming around. And, and we, you know, I'd say once or twice a season, we get out to row and we come into the dock and there's a moose standing between us and the shell pen. And we, no. all the dock and we wait until the moose moves. Um, I've had that happen in the morning when I was rowing alone. It was my, one of those, I went out and got out, went out into a flock of geese and scared myself because I was alone. And it was October turned around was like, gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm alone rowing in a too cold of weather got to the dock, looked up and the eyes reflected and it was two moose starting to fight between me and the shell pen. And I was like, here I am alone. I just have to sit there and tell these moose their move because I can't put the boat on my head and walk anywhere. So there is still a lot of wildlife even where we row. So that's Anchorage. I moved here when I was seven. So I'm not a lifelong Alaskan, but I married a lifelong Alaskan. And, um, I won't lie, it's a difficult place to live with yeah, long, you know, the winters are long. I wouldn't say the winters in Anchorage are much colder than anybody's experienced in a good upstate New York winter, <clears throat> but the darkness gets to a lot of people that aren't from here. Um, so they find that that's actually more difficult to deal with than the wet, the coldness, because we actually, in Anchorage, we're pretty, it has a pretty temperate climate. But, um, but I think Anchorage is one of the most beautiful cities. It's surrounded by the Chugach Mountains. 
um, access to outside activities and are, are just here. They're in my backyard. So I don't have to drive to go cross country skiing. I don't have to drive to go hiking. I can literally go a mile to a trailhead. And I think that's what draws a lot of people or the people that really, I think, find themselves happy here are the real outdoorsy types, the ones that want to hike and backpack and fish and ski and <clears throat> some hunters too. And um, just being outside as much as possible. But um, I won't lie though, that summertime here, I think we all get a little bit manic and because there's so much daylight. And so we're gardening at 11 o'clock at night. I'm out there raking my yard and um, it's, it can be really exhausting because you, I, you know, the sun comes up super early. It sets really late. And in the middle, you just want to do everything. You want to go hiking. You want to pack up and go down to Seward. You want to do all these things. And, and actually I was a little disappointed that my passion sport rowing happens in the summertime because I already have a lot of other things that I'm trying to pack into an Alaskan summer, but, um, but rowing fits and it, it has actually become a big part of my summer. Kim, I'm really glad that you mentioned um, the just the sheer amount of daylight that you get because I uh, have always been a little bit curious about that. And I was reading about it and learned that uh, every day you gain six minutes of daylight. So about every two weeks, you're getting the equivalent of daylight savings uh, change. Oh, yeah. And yeah. then on your longest day, you've got something like 19 hours of daylight. So I was like, oh, my God, they can row for 19 hours. But that's not actually <laughs> the case. So could you tell us a little bit about what the your rowing schedule is like and about this noise ordinance that there is on your lake? So we row as soon as the ice breaks. I mean, literally, we are watching the lake and waiting for the ice to break. And um, and then we start rowing pretty quickly. Um, 6 a.m. We have two sculling small boats in the morning, 6 a.m. and 7.30. And then um, and then four o'clock, the juniors, when they get started, which is this week, they row four to six. And then our novice will be six to eight. And that's on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Tuesday, Thursday, the masters row a five o'clock practice and then a 7.30 practice. So there's two sets of masters. Um, you know, that's, I mean, so we're missing an hour. We could start the masters at four o'clock, but doggone it, we all have jobs. Um, so yeah, we try and utilize the hour. So there is a noise ordinance in the, in the city of Anchorage that restricts all, um, gasoline engines. Uh, so we can only run a gasoline engine from 4 PM to 8 PM on weekdays and noon to six on weekends. So it basically forces us into rowing with the water skiers. Now that noise ordinance accepts, cause we're in Alaska, all float planes. So float planes they can and do take off at all hours of the day or night. And, you know, when there's 19 hours of daylight, they'll, they're float plane owners that head out before work at five in the morning and then land at seven 30 to go into the office. So um, they can take off day or night. Um, and so that's just part of sculling in the morning is that we have to watch kind of listen for airplanes landing. Um, and then, yeah, so we have this odd ordinance um, and there's only a few lakes in Anchorage where we, we can have motorized vehicles even on those hours when Sand Lake is one of them. You know, I, I think there's only one other. So does that mean that your coaches in the morning are sculling? Along they coach from a single, although we are, we are um, one year into trying to coordinate a, a electric launch, the, this, the new launch that can kind of keep up with everything that will really open up our day. But right now 
when coaches come up here, sometimes we forget to tell them that too. And they come up and find out that they're going to be coaching from a single all morning and their skill. We had one that came up and he's like, okay, I guess I'm going to learn to be a sculler. And he kind of, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, I mean, he had the basis of sculling, but he hadn't sculled to the level that he could coach. And so he, you know, the other coach did a lot of the morning rowing and he took a lot of lessons from that coach until he got proficient. Yeah. So you also have the very unique model in that you hire coaches seasonally who may or may not be from uh, Alaska directly. I know uh, Rachel and I both have applied to be coaches at Anchorage at some point in our careers. Really? Um, of course not. Of course not working About five out. Five years ago for me, clearly. Yeah. Uh, but that's okay. You know, I think what was what was so interesting, and I want to hear from Steve uh, and also from Kim. Like, what's that like to have someone kind of land? I mean, I would imagine there's a bit of an orientation. There's a bit of housing discussion. There's a bit of um, introductions and. And all of that. And it must be so uh, unique and interesting to bring in someone from the out, outside, quote unquote, outside, where you might not have a coaching pipeline, as we say, you know, in the Anchorage world, in the Anchorage community. Uh, so how did that get started? And, and what makes that uh, special for Anchorage to have that kind of a coaching model? And Steve, this is your second summer uh, yeah. with, the, with the crew. My thing up here that I kind of learned pretty quickly um and i think this goes for probably any place that you're rowing on is how to make the body of water work for you and i'm actually really excited to have we'll have another coach she she's in alaska now and hopefully i can get her situated in her house tomorrow um but she but she's got experience and she's gonna have a different perspective on how to use this body of water than than i do um and so i think that's probably the biggest challenge is understanding the body of water and how to make it work for practices and rowers and whatever it is that we're going to do. Uh, but also compartmentalize it in a way that I can understand the structure and then they can understand the structure because they've had many different coaches that have used it different ways. So that thing, that part of it can get a little, um, messy, I would say like, that's how it was a little bit tough. I think starting off last year. Um, and I think hopefully, you know, just some, we, we talked about this in our coaches committees and we've talked about it with the board as well. Just like, just some like kind of standardizing ways to at least get the season started and let some, like whoever comes in after me or whoever just to be like, oh, okay, I can, I can at least have a blueprint for these first like two to three weeks. And then once I understand what I'm looking at, then we can move on a little bit. Um, so that was the toughest part um, on that side of things. Um, well, I, I think I'll let Kim actually, she's new and has had two coaches in, a, in such a short time. So she probably has a good perspective on what it's like to have different, different voices. It, well, I am new, so I've only had a few coaches. Everybody brings something completely different to it. And I really enjoyed, you know, coaching, uh, the coaching I received from my novice year coach. He had a completely different approach to it than Steve does. Um, when we do get a coach to return, a second year or a third year, it's amazing because then we don't have to, you know, do all this orientation. They don't have to learn the club culture. It's, it's, we're different. You know, every club is a little different and I haven't guest rode with a lot of clubs, but I plan to guest row <laughs> with both of you at some point, but, but, you know, like we, you know, we like to carry our oars one at a time because somebody had to organize a work party to sand down all these oars, you know, we do everything ourselves and 
paint these things. And, and once you've spent those hours doing that, you know, you don't want those auras to get scratched up. And so, you know, we have this sort of thing we call the culture of care and we, we try to take care of the equipment. If we, if, we, if we have a boat that's damaged, it's extremely hard um, to, we're logistically challenged. <coughs> And we, we can't necessarily just get that repaired. And if we do, Ed does it, <laughs> Ed and her husband. Um, so so we, I think we view things a little differently and I've never rode with another club, so I can't say for sure. Maybe Steve could speak to it, but you know, we're, we're different. And so you have to, as a coach, get to know us and all of our quirks um, and, and Alaska and what that means to coach till eight o'clock or maybe you leave the, the lake at 8.45 and then you're there at, you know, 45 in the morning and and can one person do that sustainably over and over or how the coaching gets split up um you know I've, I've had coaching from young people that are kind of you know right off the national team and they bring a different energy and a different dynamic to coaching than um, a more seasoned you know person would and so um but I really I really love how everybody brings something different they're all qualified they're just different and I really try to just take, you know, what that person has to offer as far as whatever that is. And um, but so that's my experience. When you join the Steady State Patreon community as a subscriber, you're supporting the new narrative in rowing and a couple of your fellow entrepreneurs making it happen. Patrons get bonus content, swag, and early access. Join today, www.steadystatenetwork.com and on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Steady State Network. In two, we're back with Anchorage Rowing Association. That's one, two. Part of part of our our listening audience is global, and like Kim has mentioned a couple times, guest rows. And I'm assuming that when people travel to Anchorage, that you are you have a, a guest row policy. Yes, yeah. when we, when it's we time. We yeah. I mean, we probably get. 10 to 15 visitors a year that come wow. in to guest row with us. We'll, we have a, it's all on our website. Anyone can drop by. So great. Um, okay. Speaking of your website, we are just so <laughs> blown away. We love that you have on your website for public consumption, team management. And in this team management section on your website and, and, catch us if we're way off base here, but you have something in there called the coaches bill of rights and the rowers and coxswains bill of rights. Can you tell us how that came to be? And does that just tell us about that? Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it actually goes back to, um, you know, we bring these new coaches in every two years and we've had I would say 95% uh, amazing experience and 5%, you know, coaches coming in and they're like, it's my way or the highway. Kind of like Steve talked about, you know, you can't coach a master's program like you coach an elite program or a college program. You know, people got kids and jobs and, you know, like they're just going to come tired and they can't come every day. So I think the, the, and then, and then also, you know, recruiting coxswains for master's rowers, you know, they, um, I mean, I'm, I'm hopefully we've all been through this, but you know, sometimes masters are fairly intolerant of new coxswains, uh, you know, in the arc of our club, we've had to, you know, have the coxswains go like, why would I come down here and be treated like this? Yeah. Similarly, coaches come in and they're like, 
you know, I've been a coach, you know, like I'm not here to, to, to coach you. If you're just here to watch the birds, you know, it's like, well, you know what, someday when you're a master's rower, you are here to watch the birds. You've had a really stressful day or, you know, you don't know what's going on. I mean, this is master's rowing. No one's getting a call from the Olympics. Okay. Um, so a lot of that bill of rights came from just remembering where people are coming from. Coaches come in with a tough job. I mean, we are pretty close knit. Coaches got to come in and, and, and they, we have to orient them sometimes do a good job. Somebody, they, they get jumped in. They, they, you know, we are in the height of the season in June and they just get thrown into the fray. And we like, remember to tell them how, how to get back to their house end of practice. I mean, we literally picked a coach up from the airport and thrown them into their first practice an hour later because we were, you know, time was pressed. So we've abused coaches. I think, you know, we, we try to do our best, but, um, that bill of rights comes from just recognizing where we've made mistakes and trying to write down, Hey, everybody is entitled to a great experience here. Coach to coxswain to rower. You know, I know when I see Alaska and Anchorage at regattas, you know, here at Northwest regionals, there's championships or at, uh, I know you guys have sometimes come down for um, head of the lake, uh, a couple of the regattas here. Um, you know, we're always so happy to see you. Number one, because your uniforms are the best uniforms uh, on the West Coast. I, I, I think anywhere in the U.S., your uniforms are the most unique, most noticeable, but in a really classy way. Uh, I would love to know the story behind that. But we definitely wanted to ask you about traveling to regattas because I know there's a lot of planning and logistics that would go into that. And I wonder if you come to say Northwest Regionals, um, do you always have to borrow gear when you go places? Do you ever travel with your own boats? Do you ever drive? I mean, is it even, I guess I need to look at my maps, but it seems like it would be a little difficult to drive to Seattle. Uh, So I'll tell you the the secret behind the uniforms is that my brother who joins the team as a novice on the very first year of Anchorage Rowing is is a graphic artist. And he also is similarly addicted. And so for a very modest sum, he does all our graphics, all our uniforms, designs, everything. Tell us about um, traveling to regattas. So I have, you know, uh, we've driven, um, sometimes we've bought boats and then had them shipped to a race, but that's still really borrowing equipment because we're jumping in for the first time. But sometimes we have them delivered to a race. So it's technically wow. our equipment, but we've never rode it before. So wow. we've done that before because just getting boats to Alaska is a massive logistics feat even a single. Yes. So we have driven to one uh, world masters games was in Edmonton one year. And so three of us jumped in a suburban and we rotated driving and we drove for three days uh, down the Alcan and we brought um, our trailer to Edmonton. It was a five day regatta. We could rent them. So it helped to offset the cost because it was it was expensive when we were on the road. That was six days for us, right? Three days down, three days back, hard on the car. Um, Paul in a trailer all that way. Um, we could do it at that regatta because it was five days and we could rent from, for other teams. And we had three teams from Alaska traveling. So we all jointly funded it, filled it with the best equipment. And then we had a rental agreement with other people there to make up some of the cost. It's just, it's incredibly expensive. Yeah. I know you come to a lot of uh, the Northwest regattas. Is there a club that you like to partner with? I know Steve has a relationship with LUC and probably still with Vashon, but is there, a, are there clubs that you kind of, that's your go-to, like, you know, you'll get a good boat because I know when I've traveled to a regatta and borrowed a boat, it's not the best boat in the boathouse. It's not. I'll tell you Lake Washington is always incredibly generous. 
Um, so they honor one of the first places in Everett is also has always been very generous. Yeah. And we race at Green Lake. Green Lake always lends us equipment at their race, but they can't ship it out to other regattas. So you kind of start to know. So the the Pacific Northwest, fairly easy, and we're a known entity. Um, mm-hmm. And so we get pretty good equipment. Um, we have very hard time outside of the Pacific Northwest, um, unless we have a coach that's worked here and they'll speak on our behalf. So um, if you went to the Charles, for instance, if you send a boat to the Charles, ha- have we you have been several able- coaches? Yeah, we have several yeah. coaches there that coached for us. And so they'll get equipment on our behalf. We've never yeah. been to San Diego. Um, and, it, and it's also very hard to get good small boats. So I tell you, we can get good eights, but we get tanks for singles almost invariably. It really is a testament to uh, your club having a great reputation in the community. And, and it's like uh, that people know when they come, uh, they, they talk to Anchorage that you're a reliable club. They can lend you their gear. So that's that's really great. Anytime you need stuff from Vashon, let me know. And a lot of regattas, the little engine that could, they're like, isn't that cute? A team from Alaska. And they'll lend us gear. You know, some of them have really not liked it when we beat them. In their own gear. So, yeah. I, I, in their own gear. Um, I, I've had people go like, well, why did you give them the good boat? You know, I, I mean, that's been very infrequent because as you know, the rowing community is incredibly generous, but I have had that happen where the, the coaches was, uh, upset that we then ended up beating them in their own gear. Well, there you go. Yeah. I don't think anybody should underestimate Alaska at our anchorage at all. Hey, steady state fans. We want to know what you think. Take our new listener survey today at www.steadystatenetwork.com slash listener survey and enter to win Steady State swag. Thanks. We were wondering, Steve, what is the best advice you've received about coaching? It's, it's, a, it's a simple answer, but also a complicated answer. I, for, for coaching, uh, it was find a place that you want to live and coach there. <laughs> and that Bob, that was Bob Ernst, actually, when I was asking him about coaching collegiately. And I had this in my mind. I was like, it doesn't matter where I live. It's the, it's the job I want. Is it where, is it the level I want to be at? But that has become less and less important. And I have realized the validity in that advice of finding a place that you want to live because it is a passion, you know, it has to be something that you, the moment that you stop coaching, that you're going to enjoy everything else around you. Yeah. The place means a lot because you're not on the water all the time. Right. Yeah. Um, so Kim, what would you say that the best advice, uh, best piece of coaching uh, you've ever received? Like what's really clicked for you that a coach has said, whether it was Steve or, or another coach. Gosh, the best piece of advice. Uh, don't shoot the slide. I remember that one, <laughs> but I think, I think Steve really, Last year, you know, we did work a lot on the trust um, with the not like, you know, we, we roll on Sand Lake. There's it's often in the in the wee hours of the morning, very quiet. And there's no reason, you know, I should be looking um, compulsively over my shoulder, you know, every five strokes or so. And just learning to, you know, get your point right and trust that you're going to be OK. And um, and just learning to trust yourself, I think, a little bit more and your skills. And uh, especially because we row up here in some really cold water and uh, just having a little bit, I think for me, a little bit of courage. You know, just, and I mean, there's lots of technical things, a lot of which I don't really understand even at this point. But, um, but you know, I, I, I get what they're telling me most of the time. 
but those little things like just um, having some courage and confidence is, um, is really important for me. In terms of club management, it's been a long road. You've got a lot of systems in place. You've had a lot of ups and downs. What would you say your best advice for club management would be that you wanted to share with the rowing community? I, you know, I think for me, this is obviously like my half my, you know, it's my life. This is the child of my twenties um, and thirties, like the, the kind of birthing these clubs and, and rowing in Alaska in general. But I mean, the best advice is that it can't be the Ed show. It, it, like you, I have to back out. I mean, I, I think I've overstepped my boundaries, even with Steve this year, where I, you know, I have so much passion and I want so much for this club and I have to remember to back off and let it not be all about me. It's so easy. Uh, you know, I've started everything you hear them may reference. Well, and Ed did that. And if the boat breaks, Ed does it, you know, I, I, and that is, I want that. I mean, I want to selflessly give to this club, but I can, I have to back off. I have to let things not be my way. It can't be the Ed show or this will die. I feel you. I'm a founder also of Seize the Your Foundation, and I've done it for eight years now, and I feel you. As a founder, it's really important to learn to collaborate and learn to delegate and learn to step back um, because it can't be about you or your vision anymore. It becomes its own thing. It becomes very organic, and and, and there's so many people and emotions involved. It's it's That's what makes it beautiful and, and what makes it challenging. So I appreciate it. I've, I've been really um, kind of yearning for a group of founders to get together and and talk about what it's like to be founders because we do also have founding directors syndrome kind of in our future of you know when you've become irrelevant and when you become an obstacle you know to your own club's growth oh, yeah. so I, I'm I'll talk to you maybe another time about that but I, I would love to convene a group of, of founders um, and because there are more and more clubs popping up now because of COVID so we're going to wrap up I think right Rachel is there anything we wanted to had to I get think, in there. I think we covered all the bases. What always happens is we talk for like an hour and then I wish we could talk for another hour, but yeah. you know, we'll, we'll take what we got so far. Thank you so much for taking the time um, again with us this morning. Uh, and what we always do to finish up uh, our episode is a rapid fire Q and A quick question, quick answer. And the first question is single or double single. 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 And we'd like to follow that up with, do you prefer sweeping or sculling? Sweeping. Sweeping. It's a tie. <laughs> bow seat or stroke seat? Bow seat. I'm, I'm, a bow, I'm a bow pair guy all day. Bow seat? <laughs> oh, no strokes. Okay, good. Mm -hmm. I'll do okay. it if I'm asked, but I prefer the bow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sprint race or head race? Sprint race. Head race. Sprint race. And your favorite place to row? That I've rowed, that we've rowed? Uh, yeah. Istanbul, Turkey. I'd probably say Lake Kayapiro in, in New Zealand. Mm. That was beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, I'd love to get into New Zealand. Mine would be Sand Lake. Yeah. This is a close second, I'll be honest. I, it's, I love it. It's short, but I love it. Best rowing moment to date? God, that's the 4 a.m. Snake River 
perfect sploosh sometime in when I was about 20, 30, you know, years ago. I'm going to say maybe this is why I like head races, but I'm going to say in uh, the fall of 2006 when we won the Charles and the Champ 8. And I think that was like the day that we all knew that we've become the hunter, the hunted and and we're no longer the, the hunters. I think mine would be year before last on a really early morning row when we were all sitting in the lake and the ducklings all hopped up on the oars. Yeah. We have a lot of waterfowl on the lake and it's just like you say, sometimes you just want to go out and watch the birds and it was so fun. I, I love those moments because it seems like no matter who you are, once you see those ducklings, you just, you have to stop and look and ah. <laughs> Yeah, I love how I always love how specific people get when we ask that kind of question. I know for me, it's the recommit of the San Diego Crew Classic about five or six years ago. The recommit at the halfway mark, that moment was like, we still, I mean, me and the person in my my pair partner, we still in that eight, we still like get chills, you know, thinking about it. I love that. That's great. Uh, Okay. So last question, Rachel. Yes. Last question. The most important. important question of the day coffee before or after a row before before um when i'm when i bring it i go before during and after (laughs) uh coffee before for sure yes ed kim and steve it's been awesome talking with you and getting a little glimpse of rowing life in alaska tara and i have these grand uh, pipe dreams of someday doing a steady state tour so maybe we'll make it up to Anchorage and uh, and say hello hello, and uh, get in a guest row with you. It's just been a real pleasure and I'm, I'm sad that we won't see each other at regattas this year but uh, hopefully in 2022 we'll all be back together again. Yeah thank you all so much. Um, this uh, it's been great having you. We'll say goodbye now. Woo! Thank you. Thanks Bye. so much. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. To see photos of Ed, Kim, Steve, and Sand Lake, along with links to the people, clubs, and events mentioned in this episode, check out the show notes on our website. Did you know that Steady State is more than a podcast? We've got virtual events happening every week that bring together the rowing community from across the country and around the world. Because we miss morning practices and really miss post-practice coffee with teammates, You're invited to join us for a 30-minute coffee chat every Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern on Facebook Live. So grab your favorite mug and add your voice to the conversation. We're also excited to be a media partner for the one-of-a-kind Para Rowing Global Meetup Series hosted by Seize the Oar Foundation. These free sessions are open to all para rowing coaches, athletes, admins, and fans to talk, connect, and strategize prepare a rowing success in 2021 and beyond. Looking for workout buddies? Join us for Steady State Sundays every Sunday at 6.45 a.m. Pacific, 9.45 Eastern. During these free 60-minute Steady State Erg workouts, we provide cues and insights to keep you motivated. Arrive warmed up, work at your own pace, and stick around after to talk. To find out more about any of our events and claim your spot in our lineup, visit SteadyStateNetwork.com slash events. In two, let it run. That's one, two, let it run. Mm-hmm.
How I, big are moose? Um. <laughs> um, their their chins will be above my head, generally speaking. Like seven feet, like almost seven feet. Yeah. If you're actually close enough to measure where your head is going, you're in trouble. <laughs> right? You kind of have they to just, go for distance. Will they just stomp on you? Is that what they'll okay. do to you? Yeah. They kick. Yeah, yeah they, kick. they trample and kick. Okay. All right, All right. everyone. Thank, Thank you very you. much. And uh, really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, we'll be in touch uh, very soon. Okay, bye. 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 Bye.